Good morning. Yeah, someone clapped for that video. Why not? I love it. That's good stuff. Um, for uh, First of all, Mina, are you still in here? She was here first service, so she stayed in and she probably left. How amazing was that? I love her, her story. That was fantastic. And, and Allison, I always love when Allison's up front. Um, uh, but let's just be real. When we're inviting men to a men's Bible study, coming to emote together, we're going to eat meat, okay? We're going to eat meat without utensils, and we're going to watch football and talk. No, just kidding. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Patrick. I'm usually at the Chantilly campus um, sitting out there with you guys. I am not on staff. They just twist my arm to fill in every once in a while. So I'm glad to be here. Glad that you guys are here this morning. Um, we, this is going to be a little bit of a, well, first, let, let me start with this. For those of you here that are going to be involved with the uh, breakfast with Santa thing in a couple of weeks, be encouraged. He is already in the area, um, for, for real, legit. I stopped at Sunoco on Linton Hall, Linton Hall Road on the way over here this morning, and the cashier was behind the cashier's desk, and I was in line waiting to buy something, and the only person in front of me was Santa. I, I kid you not. He had the velvet pants on with the white rolled-up cuffs, the black boots, the bl I want to call it a blouse because, honestly, that's what it looked like, and a red vest, big, white, bushy beard, and I said, Good morning, Santa. He said, good morning. And uh, I said, so you're in the area already. He said, I'm here for the next five weeks, which raises all kinds of questions. Like, what's happening in the North Pole? Seriously, how is he going to lead if he's here for five weeks? Why isn't he somewhere else but also here? I, I have a lot of questions. But I was most curious about what would happen when I walked outside because I was really looking forward to seeing Rudolph and Donner and Blitzen. And uh, I don't know all their names, but... Thank you very much. But he got into a Ford Explorer. And I was like really disappointed. I was like, come on, dude, you're killing me here. And I, was it, it was not. <laughs> Mary, it was green. I, I, I have no answers for this. But it, it leads us perfectly. What can we believe is true anymore? I mean, he's driving a Ford Explorer, people. <sighs> okay, take a deep breath. It actually leads into the way I wanted to start this morning. I ran across a story this week about a restaurant in Toronto called Good Fortune Burger. And they have renamed items on their menu so that their customers can write them off on their taxes. For instance, the restaurant's Fortune Burger has now become, is now called on their menu, the Basic Steel Stapler. Their Parmesan fries are now called CPU wireless mouse. The Double Your Fortune Burger is now called ergonomic aluminum laptop stand. <laughs> the Diamond Chicken Burger is now called the mini dry erase board. Classic fries are now braided HDMI cord. And a bottle of Coke can be called a non-slip rubber mouse pad. We, we look around our culture, we have no idea what to believe about anything. If you watch the news, I don't care if you lean left or you lean right. By the way, if you're new here, you're welcome wherever you are on the political spectrum. There are, if, if Jesus were here today, I'm sure he would make two kinds of people mad. People on the way left and people on the way right. I'm positive of it because he would say things that both sides would agree with and he would say things that would make them go, uh, I don't know about all this. You sure you want to keep saying that? Anyway, wherever you are, if we watch the news, there's... Certainly an agenda for those on the left, the news outlets on the left, 
and there's an agenda for the news outlets on the right. And, and, and we don't know what's true. If you can explain to me what's true about the vaccine, I don't know. It probably saved my father's life, right? But it also, I, it's possible, a friend of mine believes that it's done really bad things and someone that he cares about. He's done a lot of research on this. And it's not that I'm taking a stand one way or the other. I'm saying, how do we even know? My, I, was, I was downloading the new version of Photoshop and messing with it because that's, I do some creative stuff in my career. And my wife walks in. I said, look at this. Because now you can use AI to tell it to edit photos and tell it what you want it to look like. And you can replace a stand of trees with a, you could type in mist-covered lake. And boom, there it is. And I said, Carrie, isn't this cool? And she goes, no, it's terrible. I said, well, what's wrong with you? That's awesome. And she goes, how do we know what's true? How do we even, how can we trust anything? There was, a, there was a video floating around of Elon Musk this week showing where he was talking about the dangers of AI. And I think AI is both really cool and potentially really dangerous. But he showed that, that you could take multiple photos of someone's face, upload them into this AI tool, write a script, and have a video of that person saying those things that you just wrote in the script. So at some point, we're going to see videos of somebody, a public figure, politician, somebody saying something that's outlandish and off the wall, and we're not going to have any idea, did that person really say that or not? What can we trust? What can we trust? And that's why it's so important that we spend time together as a church family. Because we do know for so many different reasons that it's a whole different sermon that I love to talk about, actually, evidence that God has given us that this is true. And this is something that won't change. And this is something that we can trust. In fact, there's only three things, right, that are going to last forever. God, his word, and people's souls. And, and and that's why coming together to talk about what matters, talk about what we know is true, is so important for us. This morning is going to be kind of an unusual sermon. Um, you're getting used to that from me, right? Like there's always something a little unusual. Um, this, for those of you new, new to New Life, first, again, welcome. Uh, I know Allison said that to you, but we're so glad that you're here. And we'll hope, you, we hope you'll come back. And, and, and you should know that New Life is three campuses. We meet here on Sunday mornings. We also meet in the end zone in Chantilly on Sunday mornings. And we have an online uh, ministry and campus as well. And one of the things that's been true about New Life since the beginning is that we have been a church planting church. That is in the very DNA of, of why and how we were created. And those of you that have been around for a while know this. But one of the great stories in New Life's past years uh, 30-ish years ago, or a little, I guess a little fewer than 30 years ago, is when, this, when New Life had three staff people, they sent two of them away to plant a church in Virginia Beach. I mean, they, they willingly went. It wasn't like they were made to go. But, but the point is, New Life said, okay, we have three staff people, and two of you want to go plant a church in Virginia Beach. We're all about that, and we're going to send a lot of more money than actually makes fiscal sense for us to do with you to plant a church. Therefore, they had more staff the day they launched than, than New Life here did with, with one. And, and the person that they sent, one of the first three employees, the person that they sent to lead the new church plant in Virginia Beach was named Vince Antonucci. Well, Vince spoke last week at our Chantilly campus. He, he, he was back in town. He gave the sermon. He 
led a church that he started in Virginia Beach. Uh, it grew pretty big called Forefront, and for about 12 years, he was the lead pastor there. And then he felt led to leave and to go to start a new church in Las Vegas, and that was called, I believe, Verve. Pat, are you with me? Verve. And that grew pretty big, and now he's doing yet another thing. Awesome communicator, awesome dude. But what happens at New Life is whatever sermon is typically given one week in Chantilly, then the next week it's here. But we couldn't have Vince with us here both weeks. And so initially the thought was, let's just show his sermon on, on the screen. And then somehow they said, well, let's get Patrick to, well, we can get Patrick to do sort of a hybrid thing where he kind of talks and also introduces some of the, some clips from things that Vince said. And that's, that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, and we're going to take a moment just to pause in the middle of the crazy week and the zaniness that's about to come with Thanksgiving and Christmas and everything else, right? And to pause and to think for a moment about compassion together, about compassion. Uh, in Matthew chapter 9, this is not the verse, we're the passage we're going to spend most of our time in this morning, but it kind of sets the stage. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 9 says this, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing, every disease, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest." great passage. And the part that I would kind of point you to most, Nelson, if you, you're, you beat me to it. No, verse 36. Yeah, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. When we go to work, when we go back to our neighborhoods, when we go to class or to school, when we hang out with the people around us, in Northern Virginia, most of us clean up pretty well, right? So we don't see the people around us and think they look dejected and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. But when Jesus looked at them, he didn't judge them based on their clothing, what kind of job they had, how much power they had, how popular they were, what kind of neighborhood they lived in. He saw their real, their most significant need, right? And so when he saw the crowd, he felt compassion for them. And that's going to be a theme, of the big theme of what we talk about this morning is compassion. So actually, can we pray? Because that's the best way to start just about anything. Um, God, we are thankful that you have brought us here this morning. We have all come here this morning with different things going on in our lives, different things going on in our hearts, different distractions, but we're here. And we don't believe it's an accident that any one of us is here regardless of what's going on in our lives. So, Father, speak to us the power of your spirit. You can do that without even needing me, God, uh, up here. Uh, your word will speak to us, your spirit, you can speak to us, and Lord, we ask you to do that this morning. Would you help us become more the people you want us to be? In Jesus' name, amen. As we talk about compassion, the first observation we're going to make this morning is that compassion is not our natural instinct. Selfishness is, isn't it? Like I'm mostly inclined to want to think about me. I'm mostly inclined to want to think about the things that involve me, that involves the people I love. That, and, and thankfully, God rescues us from that. 
But the first big point this morning, if it's not our natural inclination to be compassionate, the first big idea is that compassion is easier when we remember how God saved us. Vince shared a story last week about the process God used to draw him back into to draw Vince back into a relationship with him. And he had seen something on TV. He had never thought much about God ever. I think his dad was on America's Most Wanted list and his mom had shared stuff she was struggling with and he had never grown up in church. And he saw something on TV that seemed weird at first and he just couldn't get it out of his head. Uh, and so then he was in his girlfriend's dorm room and saw a Bible on her shelf and said, you have a Bible on your shelf. She goes, yeah, I don't know where I got it. And he said, can I borrow it? Because Vince wanted to read it and read about it and see. Just he'd never thought much about Christianity. His girlfriend said, sure, sure, take it. You can have it, throw it away if, if you, don't, you don't want it. So this is Vince's story about the first time he really started to dig into the Bible. Let's watch this. It was actually a student Bible. I don't know if it literally says student Bible on the cover. And when you open it, instead of Genesis, it says reading plan. And so I start flipping through the reading plans. It says reading plan through uh, Abraham's life. And I'm like, Lincoln? <laughs> like, literally. I, I, I literally. And Moses, I'm flipping through. Finally, I see reading plan through Jesus' life. And I'm like, I'll check that one out because, I mean, let's figure it out. Was it Tuesday or Wednesday? Let's do this. Like, we're going to get to the bottom of this. And, and so I turn, and I had never read a Bible, but I expected to read like a tall tale or a myth, you know, that it would start out, once upon a time, there lived a man named Jesus who did nice things, and he could lasso tornadoes, and I'd be like, <laughs> all right. And so I was stunned when I start reading, and over and over it says, at this time, in this place, Jesus did this thing. You know, Jesus went to this town when this guy was a governor, this guy was a tetrarch, and he did this thing. And I realized, man, there would be evidence. Like, not Tuesday or Wednesday, but you could go back and look at those times and places and find out if this really happened. And so I keep reading just out of curiosity. And I learned for the first time in my life that the Bible claimed that there was a God who loved me and who wanted to have a relationship with me. And who had sent his son Jesus to live for me and die for me. And, man, I couldn't believe that. Uh, but I, I knew, I realized, well, there would be evidence to find out if, this, if these events in this book really happened. And so I, I kept studying uh, just to find out if it was true or not, just, just out, of, out of curiosity. And, and um, I, I decided, man, if this is true, if I can prove this is true, I'm going to become a Christian. Um, and if not, then I'm going to spend the rest of my life making fun of Christians for believing in something that I can prove is false. Uh, I was a pre-law major. I did end up going to law school. And so I was into that kind of thing. And I spent months, I'm, I'm talking like six, eight hours a day, every single day, reading the Bible and going to the library and trying to find evidence to disprove it. And um, ultimately, what I discovered is the evidence for Jesus, which is overwhelming. And... Uh, it left no room for doubt. I knew it was true. But, but what was more overwhelming to me was God's heart for me. That God loved me. That he sent Jesus for me. That Jesus' mission in coming to earth was to pursue me. Vince said I was overwhelmed by God's heart for me. He then read from Luke 15. Jesus told them this parable. 
Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in that same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And we see here this, this, the lengths God will go to, the lengths God has gone to, to pursue you and to pursue me. And that's remarkable when we think the holy creator of everything is interested in knowing you, interested in a relationship with you, not just interested in it, it's going to pursue it. And what did it cost him? Not just, oh, I think I'll pursue them. It cost him the life of his son. He's demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans says. And if it's true that the God of the universe loved us so much that he let us walk away, but to fix our walking away, he had to step into the time-space continuum as a man who would die for our sins, physically be tortured after a sham of a trial, go to the cross, and, and, and perhaps the physical suffering on the cross wasn't the worst part, but the, the, when God poured out his wrath for my sin onto Jesus while Jesus was on the cross so that I could be made right with him when I didn't deserve it, that's overwhelming. And Vince made the observation, he said, I'm convinced that just learning that God loves me is a really, really big deal for people. And I want you to feel that about yourself this morning. It, it, it's really interesting. This parable about the lost sheep is followed immediately in Luke by a parable of the lost coin. Someone was looking for a coin and couldn't find it. And it followed immediately by the story of the prodigal son. And if you don't know the, either of those stories, read them later today. But back to back to back, we see... Jesus tell three parables with the same general theme. But the first one, the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus is communicating to us the lengths God will go to and has gone to to rescue us, to rescue me when I absolutely didn't deserve it because of my sin. The parable of the lost coin is about the celebration in heaven when someone turns from their sin, turns toward Christ and says, I need you. I can't do this on my own, like Mina shared so beautifully this morning. The parable of the prodigal son talks about God's extravagant mercy and grace toward us that we did not deserve, that we could not earn. It's amazing. And when we remember the, the old hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved what? A wretch like me. And when I remember what God's compassion toward me, it helps me be compassionate toward others. By the way, if you are here this morning and you've never come to a place where you've turned to Christ and you've put your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins and, and been made right with him, it, it had your, the relationship you were designed to have with him restored, if you haven't gotten to that point yet and you're still not even sure that God exists or who Jesus is, if Jesus, who he claimed to be, please keep coming back. Please keep asking those questions because those are the, 
most important questions in life. Because if Christianity is true, it affects eternity, right? But if you do believe that God is who he said he is, you do believe that Jesus is God's son, come to earth to die for our sins, but you've never come to a moment where you've turned from your sin and made a decision to trust Christ and buy him into your life, why not today? Because we see, as we look at God's word, we see a God who loved us extravagantly, the lengths that he would go to, and he would leave the 99 to rescue you, wherever you are, whatever you've done. Compassion is easier when we remember how God saved us. Second big idea, compassion grows as we see and observe Jesus's heart for me and for others. Ben shared a great story that transitions from kind of this idea of God's compassion for me to our compassion for others. Let's watch that now. Two kids now, and if one of my two kids ever wandered off, I would not say to my wife, eh, we could make another one, right? <laughs> now it's your kid, right? We actually had this happen to us when our kids were, I think my son was five and my, my daughter was three. We went to Water Country, USA. Anyone ever been there? Up in, yeah. And so it's a big, big water park. But when your kids are five and three, you don't do anything cool. Um, you do the, the kiddie stuff. And so they have this series, a row of three big kiddie pools, like around the size of the chairs area, and um, with like slides in them and all kinds of fun things for the kids to do. And so we went to the first kiddie pool. My kids played in that one forever, and they loved it. It's like, all right, let's go see the other one. And so we went down about 40, 50 yards down the sidewalk, and they have to go down the stairs into the second kiddie pool. Kids love that one, playing in that one. Long time, finally, like, all right, let's go to the next one. So we go to the next one, and my kids loved it because it had this um, yellow slide, and it was like eight feet high, which was super high for them. And you had to climb a rope ladder to get to the top. And so my kids went up, 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 down, up, 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 down, up, up, over and over and over. And so finally, my wife was like, hey, I'm going to go stand under that mushroom shower umbrella thingy. I was like, all right, go ahead. So she walks off. My son goes up, 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 down, immediately goes, where's mom? Where's mom going? I said, oh, she went under the mushroom shower umbrella thingy. And he said, can I go get her? I said, sure, go ahead. So he runs off. My daughter goes up, 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 down, up, up, like 15,000 times. The girl has no quit. And so finally I'm like, all right, all right, let's, let's go get Mom and Dawson. So we walk over. My wife is standing under the mushroom shower umbrella thingy. And I said, hey. She said, hey. I said, where's Dawson? She said, he's with you. I said, no, I, I sent him over here like five minutes ago. And she said, I haven't seen him. You're going to think I'm weird. But my first thought was, He's been abducted. Like, I've seen this on TV. Water parks are the perfect place to take a kid. Like, I, that's pretty stupid. But that's what I thought. And I, then I was like, stop, stop. It's a, it's a kiddie pool. He's in the kiddie pool. He got distracted. And so I start looking around. There's a lot of kids. But I don't see him. And I'm like, no, 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 no. He's here. Um, he's got light brown hair. Look for a kid with light brown hair. And that will be, nope. Um, okay. Uh, he, he's wearing a blue bathing suit. Look for blue bathing suit, blue bathing suit. Uh, nope. Um, yeah, he's got to be here. Maybe he's in one of the slides. Nope. Um, so what I did was I ran up the stairs to the sidewalk so I could, like, look over the pool. I thought maybe I'd see him behind something. And so I'm, like, looking over the pool, light brown hair, blue bathing suit, one of the slides. 
uh, man, like my heart started racing, my head is pounding, my throat clenched up, and I'm, I'm like looking up and down the sidewalk. There's tons of people, but not, he's not one of them. And I, I start thinking, like, I want to die. Like, if I'm, if I'm never going to see my kid again, if I'm never going to hold my kid again, I just I want to die. And um, I look down again, I look up, and I saw way up the sidewalk, this little kid looked like he was, like, running between people's legs. And I could not tell if it was light brown hair or blue bathing suit or if it was him. And this is probably embarrassing, but I just started yelling his name in case it was him. I was like, Dawson! 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 And finally, this little kid way up here hears me, and he jumps up, and he looks, and I could see that it was him, and he saw me, and he starts running to me, and I'm running to him. If you want a picture, I think it's probably quite romantic, really. He's like, <laughs> and I'm like, and so finally, we get to each other, and he jumps in my arms, and he is crying, and I said, Dawson, what happened? Where were you? happened and he said you said the mom was in the mushrooms and so I went to the first pool to get her she's not in the first pool I can't find her anywhere and I was like oh no buddy I'm sorry she's in in this pool and then I held him and I held him and I held him and I realized in that moment that I understood what it's like to be God those those thoughts I had those feelings thinking, what if I never see my son again? What if I never hold my, my kid again? Those are the thoughts and feelings that God has every day about all of his lost kids. It's the way that God felt about me sitting in that dorm room. It's the way he feels about you. It's the way he feels about your friends who don't know him. those of you that are parents, you probably can viscerally feel that sense of, oh my goodness, where is my son, right? And that's intense. That, that, that's, that would be, uh, you could sense the way he told the story. And to think, th there are so many ways that being a parent teaches us about God and about how God cares for us and how, you know, sometimes you teach your kid not ride their bike in the street, not because you don't want them to have fun, but you don't want them to die. A and we see Vince's compassion in pursuit of his son, and it's a great picture of God's pursuit of us. It's God's love for us, God's care for us. And yeah, he created us and gave us the freedom to walk away from him, and we did. And his cost to fix that was Jesus. I'm struck by um, whenever I am challenged to see or interact or engage with Jesus' compassion for me. It speaks to my heart. And I, I'll tell you why. Um, I'm a very, I, I, I like to think of myself as a very logical person. I like arguments. I like, I like what's true, what's right. And so when I started to ponder Christianity as a freshman in college for the first time ever, I started to say, is there evidence to believe that this is real? And some of you guys have heard my story about that, right? And I start, and, and, and I like evidence. I like facts. I like, and, and that's, a, a lot of that's in here. And, that, and that's the story of how I came to faith was from a sort of evidence, what's true perspective. But sometimes that can be a weakness because it can, it, my relationship with God can be very intellectual, right? And so when I see things that help me 
feel, sense, experience God's compassion for me, that's moving. That's why, by the way, I love the television show or series, The Chosen. I love it so much. Now, it's not the Bible, although much of what Jesus said is directly from the Bible, the character who plays Jesus in the show, much of it is straight from the Bible. Obviously, it's telling that story. But there are gaps the writers had to fill in, right? But when they did, I feel like it was done with a pastoral heart. In other words, I sit up here, or Preston sits up here, or Pat, or Brad, or whoever's teaching on a Sunday morning, and they're going to share inspired truth when they read right from here, but they're also going to share thoughts that God can use in our lives to encourage us, right? When I'm sitting out there with you, I learn a lot from Brad. I'm challenged by Preston. I enjoy that, and God uses that in my life. Um, are those inspired words? I don't know how to go about thinking that. Probably not, not in the sense that the Bible is, but it's truth, and it's truth drawn from here. So when I watch The Chosen, I see actual real truth of what Jesus actually said, but I also see what I believe to be things derived from God's word where they had to fill in the blanks, and the thing that I love about it more than anything else is watching the imagined accounts of what it would look like of Jesus interacting with people and seeing his compassion over and over and over again because it's beautiful and it reminds me that Jesus has that kind of compassion for me when he heals people when he performs miracles and, and I think the actor they picked <laughs> it pulls it off beautifully I think the way the direction is done the way the story is told is absolutely amazing um and the thing that we see in The Chosen is what we see in Luke 15 before we get to the part that I just read. Um, we see that in, in The Chosen, we see a depiction of Jesus as a magnetic character that sinners were drawn to, that people that were far from God were drawn to. Luke 15, 1 to 2 says, this is right before the parable we just talked about, the lost sheep says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. That's an amazing verse. The people that would have been looked at as the outcasts of society, sinners and tax collectors, right? They were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, the teacher of the law, muttered, ah, the man welcomes sinners and eats with them. See what's happening there? The people that were drawn to him are those people that we think would have been repelled by him. And what that shows us is his compassion. His compassion for others and for me first big idea is compassion is easier when we remember how God has saved us. Second big idea is that compassion grows as we observe Jesus' heart for me and for other people. And I love how Vince made that transition in the sermon. Third big idea, compassion demands that we go. Mark 16, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Here's the deal, men and women. If this book is not true, then we're wasting our time here. 1 Corinthians 15 says, takes even farther. Paul wrote, if Jesus was not physically and actually raised from the dead, then Christianity is a fraud and we're wasting our time. It all comes back to event in history. Not do I like Christianity or not, not do I like what it teaches or not, but did that thing happen? Did Jesus rise from the dead? And if he did, it affirms a lot of what was taught in here or all of Jesus' teachings, I would say. And if this is true, then eternity's at stake. Like, 
this is a really, really, really big deal. It is not that Jesus wants to be some little nice add-on to our lives so we're a little happier or a little more at peace. If this is true, there is a spiritual warfare going on, and eternity is at stake in the lives of people that we love and the people that God has given us the privilege of knowing and being around. And so either it's true or it's not. And if it's not, it means nothing. If it's true, it means everything. And when Jesus says, go, in all the world, preach the gospel of all creation, that doesn't necessarily mean we all need to go to Africa right now. No, wherever you're planted, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplace, whatever hobbies you're into. I love golf. I played yesterday, yesterday morning, and I played mediocre. And I had a great time with some guys, and we had some significant conversations, and it was fantastic. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing right now, go. Because this stuff matters. It's worth investing our lives in. But out of compassion. Compassion demands that we go. Let's watch one more short clip from Vince's sermon. Who are you pursuing? Who are you pursuing? Because listen, your your co-worker, she's just your co-worker, right? She's the person you work with. But when God looks at her, blue bathing suit, light brown hair, maybe she's in one of these slides. And and, and the guy who lives next door to you, he's just your neighbor. He's the guy who lives next door. But man, when God looks at him, his heart starts racing and his head is pounding and his throat clenches up. And, And when God thinks about your relative who's not a Christian... Oh, my anguish, my anguish. So who are you pursuing? Jesus has given us his mission. We are sent and we need to go. And he goes on to finish with this big idea that he actually titled his sermon last week called Lead with Love. He said, in your pursuit of this person, when you're thinking about this person you want to share Jesus with, my suggestion is lead with love. Obviously, we need to get to truth at some point. But when we are operating on all cylinders, we are loving people well. We're loving the people that God has put in our life. And we're asking God, God, help us see them as you see them. A a lot of you know, have heard me talk about this thing that happens at our house on Sunday nights that's just amazing. We could not have engineered it. It's just the coolest thing. And we have high school students that come and they for 11 years they've been coming to our house and I, I say all the time that Carrie and I are just honored by their presence really I mean they, and we've grown to love them and, and if you had asked me 15 years ago or 20 years ago would you ever see yourself having a ministry in the lives of high school students I'm like absolutely not that's not me I'm not the funny entertainer guy that's going to make everybody laugh up front you know I'm not and I and I didn't have some grand plan for creating this thing we just invited some of our kids friends to come over and a whole boatload showed up and they never stopped going away my youngest is now graduated from college and still high school kids come to our house on Sunday nights and people say well what did how did this all happen well I I would say God gets the, the credit and the glory but but the one thing I think in retrospect that God has used is those kids that come to our house they know we love them they know Carrie loves them. They know I love them. And at some point along the line, they're going to feel like 
I've learned here that Jesus loves me. The best compliment I think I've ever gotten about it was from a girl who was, I would say, uh, living with feet in both worlds spiritually and doing the popular thing and uh, making some decisions on Friday and Saturday night that she knew wasn't, she knew weren't wise, um, wasn't, weren't, something like that. Um, please edit that in the tape. Um, she said, this is the only place I go in my life where I feel safe. Pretty good, right? Why? Because people respond, and they know we genuinely love them. Not putting on a show, but when we really love them. And when we really love the people God has put in our life, it doesn't mean that you need to start a Sunday night thing at your house. No, it means God has put people in your life that need Jesus and that he's pursuing. And maybe part of the way he's pursuing them is supposed to be through you. So practically, we need to wrap up. Practically speaking, what does this look like? Well, Vince, I love the question he asks. Who are you pursuing? Right? If this is true, the answer should be somebody. Because God has put people in your life that you may have an opportunity to speak about, to introduce to this God that would leave the 99 to pursue them. You have the opportunity to introduce people. And, 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 and I want to say it like that. It's an opportunity. If you ever think when Jesus said, go unto all the world and preach all the gospel of all creation, that this is an obligation or a duty or a responsibility, Satan's winning a battle in your life. Because it's a privilege. It's an amazing joy to help someone experience God's love for the first time and come to faith. Absolutely amazing. And, and when Vince said, who are you pursuing? I loved it because there was an intentionality there, right? And so as a very practical matter, if there's someone that you believe God has put in your life who hasn't yet met the Savior that loves him that much, at the very minimum, just start praying for them every day. Just start praying for them, asking God to open up their eyes so they can see and hear the truth. If I were to ask you this morning, how many red cars did you see on the road coming here? Most of you would go, I got no idea whatsoever. <laughs> but if I'd ask you at home, before you come to church this morning, would you count the number of red cars you see? You would have seen a bunch, and all of you would come in with different numbers, right? Why? Because when our eyes are looking for opportunities, when our eyes are open, we will see things that we wouldn't see otherwise. So we need to pray, not only for the people that God has put in our lives, but we need to pray that God would open up our eyes to see people as they really are. Right? In that Matthew 9 thing, Jesus saw people as they really were. He felt compassion, and he acted. He told people, pray, send labor, laborers into the harvest. We need to do the same thing. See people as they really are. Feel compassion. See, see people as Jesus saw people. Feel as Jesus felt, and then act as Jesus acted and be willing to go. So pray for the people God has put in your life. Jump into this adventure called discipleship. And if you're not even sure what that is, take a first step. Take a first step. Pray for them, love them, and in introduce them to the God that would leave the 99 for them. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, compassion is not easy for any of us. And even as we wrap up our service this morning, Lord, we ask you to make us more compassionate people. Remind us what you've done for us. Remind us that you would leave the 99 to pursue us. Thank you, Jesus, that you would leave the 99 to pursue me.
despite my sin, despite the fact that I had my back turned on you. Lord, I'm grateful for that. So would you make us more compassionate people? Would you open up our eyes to the people around us and give us a sense that we have a privilege of being able to introduce people to you and have their eternities changed? That's an amazing gift you've given us. So Lord, change us. Make us a little more compassionate today than we were yesterday, compassionate for the right things. Help us remember what's eternally true and live for that. You've called us to be light. You've called us to be your ambassadors, and we need your help to do that at all. (laughs) I need your help to do that at all, and especially need your help to do it well. So I pray that for myself and for my friends here, men and women that are here this morning. Change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.